Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in. This is a trigger warning for this episode. This is the first episode that I had recorded since my mom passed away, and the topic is on death and dying. So if that's something that triggers you, then you might want to skip this episode. Also, as I've been editing this episode, I noticed that when my interviewee is talking, occasionally there's a male voice in the background that wasn't present when we were doing the recording. So I thought that was really interesting. I did my best to kind of find the parts that I could edit out, but you might hear it. Let me know what you think it is. Send me a message on Instagram. Anyway, without further ado, here is the episode. Welcome to Sunrise Life, the podcast where we have deep conversations with fellow freelance models. I have Daisy Vaughn on the line with me today. Say hello. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for reaching out about doing this episode with me. Daisy was on my first podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, and that one was mostly just about like deep conversations about like you know, really intense stuff like dealing with death and dealing with abusive relationships. And I was just trying to reach out and connect with people at the beginning of the pandemic because that was a crazy time. But I really remembered our conversation and I enjoyed getting to know you further. Thank you. Yeah, I loved that conversation. And I think it's important to have these conversations around deep topics. Yeah, especially because as we are freelance models. I think that a lot of people like superficially when they're like perceiving us, we are stereotypically perceived as just visual people that are making money off of our looks, right? Yeah. In fact, when I tell new friends or new people in my life that I am a model, I always say, I have a microbiology degree as well because I'm so worried that they're like just gonna look at me and be like, oh, this person's value is just in their looks. Yeah. It's overcompensate. Yeah. And yeah, and a lot of people on the internet will be quick to say that too. Like, you know, if they don't know you at all, it's just like you get put into a box, right? Yeah. It, it's it's really quite unfortunate because I feel like a lot of models have very rich lives outside of being beautiful. Yeah, I noticed that in your imagery that you share, you definitely have, you've got a vibe. Like you share imagery where it's like, honestly you, like you're not trying to, you know, modify the shape of your body in post-production or like share any imagery that's not authentically you. And I think that, I think that's really great, you know? Thank you. Yeah. Not to get like too deep too early, but- (laughs) One thing that I really care about, especially when I first started modeling, is that I have a scar on my body from a traumatic event in my life. And I did not want that scar ever taken out. I didn't want photographers brushing over that, you know, fix, quote unquote, fixing that skin area. Cause I feel like it's strongly a part of who I am that to the point that I was like, please do not remove this scar. Yeah, um, that's amazing. And, you know, there's a few people that I've talked to that, do have scars like that that really they feel like it is a major part of who they are. So I can understand 
you know, the, the need to remain true to that and not have it edited out. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely feel like I also try to invoke emotion in my photos. I think that's like very important and at least to my branding and what I like to create. And I think going through things like grief or hard times has actually helped me be able to invoke those emotions when I'm in front of the lens. Yeah. You know, I feel that people say that the artist needs to be tortured a little in order to like really have good art come out. Right. And I'm just kind of feeling that a little bit like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's the little bit that I wish, you know, I feel like artists don't need to be tortured a lot. And I feel like oftentimes we just, I don't know, I don't know what it is about the artist's lifestyle that the universe is just like, let's just throw you rainstorm after rainstorm and see if you can come out to the sunshine. Yeah. I think it's a balance though, because you have to be like tortured enough to be inspired to create, but not so tortured that you fall into depression and you just stay in bed all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think it's, it's, it's a balance. I know like we had talked before on your original podcast about this. When my father died, I really, really tried to continue working. Like I was really gung-ho about working still, not letting it affect my schedule. And I actually think it like delayed my grieving process because I had such a long stretch that I, I couldn't get out of bed. And I think it's because I didn't allow myself to feel that in the very beginning. Yeah. I think that's really interesting feedback because I've been wondering myself, like, have I given myself enough time? And just so that the listeners know, like, kind of what's going on, this is going to be a little bit of a different episode. This is my first podcast recording since the death of my mom on January 5th. And at the time of this recording, it is January 18th right now. So it's been, what, 13 days, which is about two weeks, which doesn't seem like, it doesn't sound like a very long time, but for me, it feels like the last two weeks have been kind of an eternity just because we've been dealing with like, you know, post-death family drama and stuff. And I feel like I've finally gotten to a place where I can rest, but I've only had one shoot since then, which I'm kind of surprised that I made it to that shoot anyway. But but Daisy had reached out to me. You reached out to me because you saw what had happened. I had posted about my mom's death and you said, if you want to do an episode together that's kind of based off of this topic of being a freelance model, dealing with a tragic death, and then how do we move forward? So so that's where we're at. You know, and Daisy had her father died. And from what I remember when we had that first discussion a few years ago, you said that your dad was like your number one fan and he had your art on his walls. And so when he passed, it was majorly traumatic for you. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so sorry you're going through this. It sucks. It's terrible. I understand the two weeks. It seems like an eternity. And also like you like look back and you're like, how did two weeks even happen? You know, yeah. grief definitely warps time. And what's happening during that time, I I feel akin to you in a certain way, even though our situations are different, in that I, I mean, my father passed in 2019, and it's 2024, and I still don't have 
inheritance or anything else. Not that I'm like crying for it. It's more like the legal situation is just a mess. And it's so frustrating that I didn't know in 2019 that five years from when he passed away, I'd still be dealing with the mess of his death. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, my situation's kind of, you know, abnormal, but it's very frustrating to me that I, I can't, I feel like I can't truly get over this until, and quote unquote, get over it, but I can't move on with my life completely until everything legally is tied up. Right. Legal stuff is stressful and who cares? It's like, it's not about money or assets or whatever. You just want this whole situation to be put into the past. Yes. Yeah. And like, it, it's just, it's just crazy. So like, I didn't even get my father's ashes until last year, uh, 2023, which is what? just insane. Like I had to wait four years just to get my father's ass ashes. Like, why did it take so long? That's weird. Yeah, um, part of it is just like family dynamics and drama and things like that. And part of it was that we donated his body to science. I did not know when that happens, they have like a very generous lead time of giving you back their ashes. So I think we waited over a year alone to just receive his ashes. Uh, and then I have a, a whole bundle. I have like a circus amount of siblings. So splitting up the ashes was a political disaster. Man, sorry about that. It's, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, I definitely think losing my dad was hard with modeling particularly because like you said, he was my number one supporter. I used to run a blog and I stopped running it mainly because I couldn't handle anymore. I used to have two blogs a week come up and my dad would call me right when they came up and critique me on my writing, tell me, you know, this was great. I really like this topic. You should explore this more. And when I stopped having those phone calls and those conversations, that blog coming up suddenly became a really depressing thing for me. Yeah, you know, it's just little ways I didn't expect my career to be affected by my father's passing. That it's like, I, I don't know. I really like writing. I love writing, but I don't think I could run a blog again because I, I'm just going to crave that phone call that's never going to come. That's so that really sad. No, it's okay. We all we all have, you know, little things like that that are really cute and wonderful memories. And I love that my dad, you know, poured that time and energy into me. It's just, it's like a double-edged sword, right? Now, now that's a thing that is a beautiful memory so much so that it hurts when I don't experience that. Yeah, I can fully understand that. I have been also dealing with some post-death family drama, and I'm not going to go, I can't go too far into detail because I'm being legally threatened to be sued by a certain somebody who is claiming that myself and my sisters are all thieves and like evil people. When in reality, my mom actually rewrote her will like a couple months before she died to exclude this certain somebody who was very emotionally and financially abusive to her. Uh, this person will not be named, but I'm just saying like, 
everybody in the family has problems with him and he's now legally threatening us and will not allow us back at my mom's house saying that if we go to her place to try to sort through her old clothes or her old memories or anything like that he now has security cameras at the house with the system to make sure that we'll get arrested if we show up at the property so it's really an unwelcoming you know adding salt to the wound that's awful that's completely unacceptable and awful behavior and I'm I'm so sorry. Like you shouldn't have to deal with that along with your grief. Yeah, it's it has definitely affected my my grief. Like I, I'm having bad dreams almost every night about my mom being in pain because she died of cancer and it was really bad and like she passed away because she like you know her body succumbed to all of her like internal injuries that were happening because of the cancer basically and it was just. It was just really bad. It was really traumatically bad. It was awful to witness. But I can say that I was grateful to be in the hospital room for about her last 24 hours, even though it was like really traumatizing, just like witnessing everything that was going on. It was at the same time that it was traumatizing, it was also really connecting because there was like 10 people there like for 24 hours hanging out in the hospital room we had a slumber party we were all comforting my mom and holding her hand but right there there was like really dark scary moments and then there was really peaceful connecting moments and i can't get it out of my head it was just so recent for me yeah the dreams are definitely something i feel like people don't talk about enough like i remember my dreams were so realistic that I was almost addicted to sleeping and dreaming. Um, wow. And I feel like your situation is a little bit different. And like, it got to a point where it's like, I messed up my whole sleep schedule because I was just I, basically addicted to sleep. I don't know how else to put it. Like, my dad seemed so realistic in the dreams that I wanted to keep <laughs> interacting with him. And that was like the only way I could. And so I feel like Greece oftentimes causes these crazy dreams to happen and i i don't know the solution right like it would be torturous if every time you went to sleep you're having these awful you know dreams of your mother suffering and that's just that's really rough and i'm i'm sorry you have to go through that yeah and i know that's not the way that she would want to be remembered for sure but i mean it it it's it was something that definitely left an impact on me which is probably why my mind is trying to process it while i'm asleep yeah well and like i definitely don't think it's the way you're going to remember her right like even if it's a short-term way you're remembering her i think in the long term you're going to remember all those happy moments and times and that connection you had with her yes yeah, and I, I do believe that too. And I think that strongly. And, you know, with dreams, when my grandma died in 2017, I just felt like there was a strong presence that like, and I'm not religious or anything like that, but I don't know if I would consider myself agnostic or atheist, but I just kind of avoid religion for myself for my own personal reasons. But I will say that with my grandma passing, because of like really interesting experiences that we've had with hummingbirds ever since she died, Mm -hmm. I feel like it had something to do with like her energy 
or something. I feel like there's an energy that happens, something energetically after you die. Like my mom's not just totally gone. Like her soul is doing something. That, that I do feel that strongly and whether or not it's true, I'm still going to feel it. I, I agree. Yeah, I agree completely with that. I feel like, so like I still talk slash pray slash meditate to my father every Sunday and I always ask him for like a sign to show me he still loves me, supports me, is around, yada, yada, yada. And oftentimes I do find that sign throughout the week, you know, and it, it it's something weird. Like it's not like show me a traffic <laughs> sign that I'm going to see on, on, on my way driving anyways, right? Like I'm always asking for something that's pretty specific, but still is like a doable thing. And and sometimes I'm just amazed by the way the universe works to make us know that our loved ones are still around and still care about us. Yeah. And I think holding on to that might be silly or people might call us superstitious or whatever, whatever. But at the end of the day, it's for us to feel comfort knowing that a piece of our lives and a piece of their lives is not completely gone. Absolutely. I have a short story about something sort of superstitious that happened a day, a day and a half after my mom passed away. Oh, yeah, yeah. So she passed away in Phoenix and we had a ton of, not a ton, but at least five or six people that were, emergency flew in from out of town because they were really close with my mom, like like our adoptive sister from Tennessee and a few super close family member friends of my mom's that are just always been really close came down and we all wanted to go to my mom's house one last time to like you know breathe in the air and like feel her presence and just check it out but this particular person that I had mentioned earlier did not want to permit us to come over so Fortunately, my I have two stepbrothers who were willing to basically kidnap this particular person and bring him to spend the night somewhere else. Mm. And I feel like all the details that I've given have really like kind of pointed to who this person really is, but I'm still not going to directly say who they are just for legal purposes. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, so we were able to go over there and spend one last night. And in the morning when we woke up, Mind you, this is in Phoenix, Arizona. It was snowing at her house. Snowing. And like the the, the kids were running out and jumping and like, oh, it's snowing. Wow, this is crazy. (laughs) I've never seen it snow in Phoenix. And I talked to a few other people who I know that live in the area and they didn't see any snow. So I was like, this has to be like some, this is not just a weird coincidence. Like this is too much of a coincidence for it not to be some spirit energetic thing happening that is amazing yeah i have never seen it snow in phoenix that is incredible yeah everybody jokes down there that it won't snow for a thousand years you know if you're lucky yeah that that is incredible yeah so i also wanted to discuss with you not only our own personal like grief and i guess this grief is still very personal But I was saying before our call that it is very interesting that we're in an industry where there is a large age discrepancy, typically, between models and photographers. So much so that photographers sometimes pass away and we are 
artistically close to them. And that's like a weird thing to have to deal with. Like, I don't think a lot of people in their typical nine to five have to deal with a non-insignificant amount of coworkers passing away. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. A lot of photographers that I had worked with a good handful of times, I, I just hear one day that they've died and it makes me sad because like I, I, did, I wasn't notified, you know, as a freelance model, you might be, you might feel close enough to somebody for them to like email you every once in a while, but maybe not close enough to get the notice that, you know, they're only going to live another month or so. So, so then when you find out that they passed, like you feel like, man, I should have, uh, you know, made an effort to reach out to this person more often, or I should have said, you know, how much they meant to me when, you know, it's it seems like a superficial relationship, a photographer and a model, like, you know, they're photographing you often in various stages of undress or whatever. But but there is often like a good connection with the people that you work with and you talk to them during your shoots and you care about them, you know, even though like it's business and there's a transaction happening, like, you know, I feel like there's it's more than just, you know, money and like hot photos or whatever. Yeah, I completely agree. And I I was telling one of my friends that it is very interesting to me that we are like in a vulnerable state if we're totally undressed in front of the camera. And I think a lot of times photographers get vulnerable back to us, but it's inappropriate for them to undress. So they get very vulnerable emotionally. And I've heard things from photographers that I'm like, I feel like a close friend would tell me this. And we've met for the first time. And I'm very thankful that I had that connection with photographers. But sometimes I'm hearing very intimate details of a person's life. And I'm only spending a couple hours with them or maybe a couple days with them in a year total. And it's kind of a strange relationship we have with these photographers. I, I genuinely care about them as people, but I don't, I'm not in their orbit. Like I'm not in their circle of friends. Yeah. And so it, it is strange when they they pass away and I think like the same as you, I should have spent more time reaching out to them, talking to them, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, I have this weird guilt that I have felt close to them, but I wasn't actually a close person in their life. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. And there's there have even been a few photographers that I worked with really closely that ended up dying of, you know, old age, where like some, some photographers seem like they might be really, really lonely and not have like family around or like close friends around. So you know that those photo shoots that they're doing are what's keeping them going. And I'm, not every photographer is like this, but enough to make it notable. There's, there's a lot of people that I've worked with. They'll hire me every time I come to their city and they tell me that, you know, the other parts of their life are just kind of, you know, just for passing or kind of a drag or they have medical issues or nobody comes to visit them. But when they do a photo shoot with a model, they feel like they have connection and and it makes me wonder, like, like th that ending of life scenario must be really, really lonely 
And it makes me feel like as a freelance model to be one of the people that are a part of their happy moments in their life, it, it makes me feel good, you know? Yeah. You know, I never really thought about it, like the tail end of what you just said there. Like, we are part of very happy moments of people's lives. <laughs> and I think that's something I really never attached to modeling. I've always viewed it as like very businesslike, very professional. Mm-hmm. But it is a really fun thing. And it is something that I notice brings a lot of light to photographers' lives. And it, it, it is a little bit sad sometimes going to these cities and you can kind of tell these photographers are a bit isolated. Like you said, not every photographer, but some photographers are very isolated from community. And I know for myself, traveling all the time, it's been really hard to have community in my home area just because I'm always gone. And so I wonder if a lot of these photographers, you know, they traveled, they were busy, they were, a lot of them were very successful. And I wonder if they never built community in those younger years. And so they never really knew how in those older years. Yeah, perhaps. I also have heard statistics about how men have a harder time maintaining friendships on their own outside of like their marriage like oftentimes and this is just a statistic it's not like everybody is like this but because it's not as socially acceptable for men to be vulnerable with people oftentimes some of their friendships you know they're from college and it was a long time ago or whatever but like a lot of their social lives are revolving around their wife's social life but if they're if they no longer have a wife because perhaps they split up or maybe she passed away then then you get into the super lonely stage and it's harder to have friends and i have literally had photographers tell me that their only friends are models and this is a this is just a spare few i'm i'm not saying that if you're a photographer that means you don't have any friends outside of models but i'm saying that it is out there. And those types of photo shoots, I feel it, it is, I do feel a little bit of pressure when I'm at those photo shoots to be mindful of how important it is to this photographer. But sometimes this pressure can feel like it's taking away from the photo shoot because it feels sometimes, and this has been mentioned on the podcast a lot of times by other people that I've interviewed but it might feel more like a therapy session than a photo shoot. Yes, yeah, which I love the therapy session, quote-unquote, aspect. Like, I love getting to know people and their lives. I think it's very interesting that we are very safe people for them to talk to because we're not, we don't know anyone in these photographers' lives other than other photographers. And usually photographers aren't all hanging out together that much. Um, Right. But you know, to, to tell us things, there's really no social repercussions for them, yeah. right? Right. Run and say, did you know this person hates Betty? Or yada, yada, yada. You know, it's it's like they can kind of talk to us and not have to worry about those social repercussions. But at the same time, I, again, approach things very professionally. And I have found myself at shoots where I'm like, hey, I want to make sure we get like the photos you want to get. I can't do that if I'm running my mouth. 
Like, like, I love talking to you, but I want to make sure that what you hired me for, we achieve. Yes. That balance can be really difficult, especially if the topic of conversation is something very deep and important. Yes, I agree. Like, I showed up with my makeup and my outfit bag or whatever, and I, I wanted to complete this creative task as well. And and don't get me wrong, I I know that I'm like saying sometimes photo shoots turn into therapy sessions and I'm not saying that that's bad, but I think that it can can at times for me feel draining if I'm on a long tour and emotionally like showing up for people, you know, when you have like six to eight hours of photo shoots per day with like two or three different people. I think that at times I have felt blindsided by it. And other times I'm really into just like going down the rabbit hole in conversation so much that we're like running over time at the shoot. And I'm like, oh, wow, where did the time go? So it can come at e- either, either, either side of the fence. And I think it really depends on if it feels more like a conversation that you're having or if you feel like you are not speaking and you are being spoken to. Y- you know what I mean? Like when somebody's talking to you about something, like is it a back and forth or... Or is it uh, one-sided, I suppose? That's that's when it feels either fueling for me or like a little bit draining. Yeah, I agree. And there's just like a meshing of personalities, <laughs> right? Like sometimes I want to talk to photographers because I find them to be a very interesting, intriguing person. And then I'll find out like maybe one of my model friends is like, I don't want to work with that photographer because I don't want to talk about the things I want to talk about. You know, yeah. it's like some, it, it very much matters on if you just click as people as well. If I find the topic like draining or if I find it energizing. And yeah. oftentimes I found if I find it energizing, I get really nervous that the photos are going to turn out poorly because I'm not focused on the photo shoot anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I said that as well. But I mean, this whole thing, whether the conversations are like draining or, or fulfilling or either way, like all of this all together kind of contributes to how being a traveling freelance model is an exciting way of life. You know, every day is different. You're dealing with different people. Like some of them you really befriend. Some of them it's more business. Yeah, it's definitely a weird way of life. It's definitely one that I feel like is too hard to explain to people who aren't in it. Yeah. Um, like just just explaining to some of my friends that oftentimes where I am going for a photo shoot is someone's residence is shocking to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just that we enter people's houses, we get undressed, they take pictures of us. That sounds like something an insane person would do. I, I think most of my friends are like, are you okay? And it's like, this is a great life. Like, it's really fun. It's really energizing. I get to meet these people. But yeah, I think oftentimes people are worried about us. Yeah, very true. I remember, interesting that you mentioned that because the home studios for me, I have had that same feeling when I started modeling. Like, you're going to their house. It's a home studio. Like, what are you going to do at their house? But I also remember the first time I had a hotel shoot. My (laughs) first hotel shoot, I was about to knock on the hotel door and I was like, wait a second, like, you know, this could be completely anonymous to whoever booked the room. Like, what if they booked it through somebody else's name and there's no paper trail? And what if I'm actually going to get murdered? You know? <laughs> or sex trafficked? 
Right, right. Or trafficked, kidnapped. Yeah, I used to when I when I had my blog and stuff. I I used to have this blog post up about how I write out where I will be when I am supposed scheduled to be done being there and the local police yep. number, and I give that to a trusted person before I leave for a tour. And then it's my responsibility to check in with that person at certain times. Otherwise, I expect them to call the police and say, like, this was Daisy's last location. Whoa. I hope that you haven't had to exercise that. Luckily, I never have. And I'm really good about actively checking in and making sure that those people know that I am safe, I am good, yada, yada, yada. But... I feel like when I tell models this, they get I th- I get this reaction of like that that is really extreme, Daisy. I'm like I feel like this is basic safety that often people like in our industry don't do because it's a lot of work and effort to do that, right? Like that probably takes me an hour every tour to put that document together, and that's an hour a lot of us don't have. Yeah, true that. Uh, I had a question that I wanted to ask. It's kind of circling back to the grief stuff about like being a model and dealing with a traumatic death of a close family member. Just because I'm dealing with this right now, <laughs> and I feel like you would have insight on this because you mentioned that writing your blog was something that became triggering for you after the death of your father. But what was it like? for you getting back into actively modeling like or you know setting up a tour for yourself or you had a bunch of photo shoots while you're traveling which as many of us traveling freelance models know is very draining like this this weekend starting actually tomorrow I have my first tour that I have like you know 10 photo shoots in like five days and I'm like am I going to be able to get through this you know am I you know asking too much of myself to make this tour happen like What was it like for you? Yeah, I think it was very cathartic. One, I really threw myself into work and kind of lost myself into work. You know, if you're traveling, you're working, you can't think about these other things. You're not going to spiral and just be sitting there thinking. You know, suddenly you're thinking, is this light where I want this light to be? Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, we we touched on the therapy sessions and I kind of really have to thank photographers who booked me during that time because... I think the therapy session kind of switched the other way. I yeah. Think, yeah, I talked heavily to photographers about this death in my life. And luckily, a lot of photographers are older, and a lot of them have had their parents pass away. They helped me through processing a lot of my griefs. And I mean, I remember one photographer in California was like so sweet that he was like, eat, just eat and your grief will go away. And he kept like, he kept bringing me food. Like it was like a full day shoot. And he was like, if you're eating, you're not grieving. And it was like the strangest thing to me at that time, but it actually didn't make me feel a lot better. It was almost like a person bringing you soup when you're sick. Yeah, it just felt very like sweet and nice. And I think everyone gave me kind of different advice and their different experiences. And talking to people who have experienced death in that close of a circle level, like a familial death, it it made me realize I'm not alone. And it kind of did build that community for me of like, okay, 
I can get through this. Plenty mm-hmm. of other people have. A lot of these photo- photographers I admire, and I admire them usually for their work or their success in life. And now I was admiring them on a totally different level of how they emotionally handled themselves after something that had devastated me. Yeah, that's really good to hear. And, you know, that's kind of my hope and my intention of moving into this trip that I'm doing this weekend in Portland is that I do I, I do legitimately enjoy the process of a photo shoot if the people that I'm working with are nice. And I try to make sure through, you know, advanced communications and reference checking that people I'm working with are going to be nice and understanding and not rigid or demanding. And most people are. Most photographers are nice. And being a part of those types of interactions, I feel, will be healing. Because if I'm just at home, right now, I'm just kind of isolating. I'm just trying to, like, you know, soak up this peace that I have for a couple of days before going on this trip. And I, th- I like stuff about my regular routine is starting to come back. Like I'm making my regular smoothie in the morning and doing my morning yoga again. So my my regular routines are coming back, which means that I'm like, you know, leveling out, so to speak, because th- most of the time that I was in Arizona, like during the time of my mom's death and everything, like all that went out the window. My my appetite completely went away. My concept of how fast time was moving by completely went away. I hardly slept for like, you know, three days. And it was just like, you know, really hard to get through all those times. But now I'm like, okay, I need to make sure that I have enough snacks to get myself through the next 24 hours because being a traveling freelance model, like, you know, usually you're not going to a restaurant or like making yourself like a full on great meal. You know, most traveling models might agree that we're just snacking the whole time, (laughs) right? We live off peanut butter and goldfish. (laughs) Goldfish. Those are good. I should probably think about those but for me it's like beef jerky sorry <laughs> no worries sorry give me one sec okay we're sitting on the yard hush 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 sorry that was the mailman right on well i'm glad that you're still receiving mail <laughs> yeah yeah i'm so sorry the goldfish snacks yes but yeah taking care of myself while on a trip is super important to like surviving the trip otherwise like the first several the first few years that I was a traveling model I felt like I was giving myself the short end of the stick while living on the road and it wasn't until I decided you know I could bring a jump rope with me while I travel or I could bring my smoothie blender with me like I could bring my stuff that I like having sorry no worries (laughs) oh my goodness so sorry yes I remember your smoothie blender because I believe I saw a video of you one time. It was a car battery, like teaching us how to like make sure we can get our smoothie while still like traveling. Yeah, it for me, like it sounds weird, but I pretty much have the same smoothie, you know, more or less. Sometimes it's different fruit, but mostly the same type of smoothie every day. And I find that having some kind of a morning routine that's the same every day 
helps keep my life together like mentally and emotionally because if I'm in different time zones, different patterns, seeing different people, sleeping on different beds, if I could just have a couple of things in the morning that set me up for the day that are consistent, then I've, I'm, I'm going to be okay that day. Like I have my little morning stretch, I do a little morning journaling, and I have a smoothie. That's, that's wonderful. I completely agree. I have like a little morning routine. I do as well. And it, it definitely grounds me, especially when traveling. And I think the other aspect of just like, not only that snacking, eating, making sure you're healthy. I know for me, like modeling is physically exhausting. And I think for most of us, it's very physically exhausting. And so during tour, I didn't have time to think. Like I just went, I modeled, I came back to the hotel and I was exhausted. So I just slept. And that was something that really helped me bring back routine because now my body is just forcing me to have a routine of like, okay, now you're sleeping now. Now we wake up, now we work, now we go back to sleep. Whereas when we're not on tour, I think we can kind of have whatever schedule we want as long as we get our work done. Yeah. And there are things that I have to do in advance of a trip. Like for myself, I have a Patreon and an OnlyFans and I schedule all those posts to come out. I have to make sure that I've scheduled enough posts to get me through that trip plus a few extra days because when I get back from a trip, I'm not going to, you know, be as on top of it. Like I need, I need a couple of days to reset. So, so yeah, managing my life is, I suppose, not like normal compared to most people, but yeah, it works for me. And self-care I've learned over the years is just so important. And for the sure. photographers that we work with, like how they interact with us, like really, really affects the quality of, of, of our lives. So I want to say shout out to all the photographers that, you know, chit chat in between outfits. For me, shout out to all the photographers that I trauma dumped on when I went through my breakup in 2019. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I did. I, I did. I just, I couldn't shut up about it. And I feel embarrassed about it today. But, you know, I feel like the next couple of months, it's going to be about the passing of my mom. And so, preemptive thank you to all the photographers that are going to have to listen to me, you know, trauma dump on you about it. So, I, I think. From my experience, photographers genuinely enjoy that connection. And I don't think we should feel guilty for expressing what hard times we're going through in life and get that support, right? Because I, I don't know a lot of people in life who don't like supporting others. It's a good feeling to know that you're helping someone. And I think it's okay with how much we help people to allow others to help us. You know, I don't think you're trauma dumping on them. Yeah, you're allowing you're allowing yourself to lean on someone during a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Maybe I am being a bit self-deprecating by overly apologizing and saying that it's trauma dumping because you're right. It, humans have to connect with each other about this kind of stuff because if we don't, then it's just going to fester in our minds and turn into resentments or manifest itself in other ways. 
like through sickness and stuff, right? Yeah. And I'm sure with your Patreon OnlyFans, I'm sure if you take a break, they will understand. I think a lot of people who, you know, subscribe to that content are really care about the creators in those spaces. And it's totally reasonable and normal when someone is going through grief to have to take a step back from work. Oh man, <laughs> I'm glad that you said that, but I definitely, I haven't skipped a day of posts coming out. I, I fear, like I, I have a lot of bills and I think that my fear of going into the red on my monthly income is perhaps harming me in a way. Like I, I put so much emphasis on staying afloat financially because, you know, everything that I'm doing right now is eventually going to be leading me into retiring as an elderly person. But I do not have a college degree. I'm a high school dropout. So I think a lot of my methods of hustling and, you know, always trying to be on top of it focus around this, like, central idea that, like, I am going to be harming my future self if I don't like, keep the ship running and maintained. Yeah, I can understand that pressure. Um, but I also feel like I've known you, not on a very, very close level, but I've, I've known you for a couple of years now. And I think you're a person who, even if you do, quote unquote, fall behind in this month or two months period of grief, you're going you're gonna to pull yourself back up. Like, I believe you are a resilient individual, and I, I think you could do more harm to yourself by not allowing yourself a break than by being continually hard on yourself and saying, like, I need to make sure that everything is perfect during this time that you have great turmoil. Yeah, you're probably right. And that's making me, reminding me of some stuff that a life coach that I had a couple years ago said. My, the, the moral of the story was that I'm just too hard on myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of models are. I think, but I think kind of what we were going back to with the tortured artist, you know, models tend to be very hard on themselves, but it's kind of what makes great images, right? I, I joke around with my friends. Any image that you see that is like, oh my God, that's amazing or whatever, that model was in pain. That pose is not normal that way to stand or whatever, even if it looks normal, is we're somehow contorting our bodies in a way that is in somewhat painful. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. It's true. There, There is beauty. What's, what is it my dad always told me when I was a kid? It hurts to be beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a tough thing to hear. Isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Often when we were getting our hair brushed, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, but there's a joy that comes out of, oh, I worked really hard and I suffered for this image or I, I suffered for the entirety of my career to look like this cohesive badass thing. Like the whole thing as a whole can be like a, a, a suffering that has beautiful results that people, you know, they'll message you like, wow, you're so inspiring. And you're like, I do not feel inspiring right now. I feel yeah. tortured. <laughs> I feel like this hard and I feel like people look at me like, you know, I'm just this superficial chick on the internet showing half-naked photos all the time. I don't, I don't feel often like I am inspiring, but people still reach out and they're like, wow, I'm just so amazed with this stuff that you do. And I'm like, 
girl, I'm getting naked on the internet for money, just like a lot of us. There's a bit of imposter syndrome, I guess. Yeah, well, that and like, I'll say a way you're inspiring me or I admire you right now is, you know, through this time of grief, you've shared poetry and you've shared, you know, words that you're writing down that are clearly coming from what you're going through right now. And I wish that I had kept more of my journaling, my feelings, my everything of what I went through when I was grieving. I think that's very admirable, not only that you're expressing your feelings to yourself by writing them down, but that you're willing to share them with a bunch of strangers on the internet. Thanks. Oh, thanks. I'm glad that, I mean, I, I put that stuff out and then I don't even think about it really, but but thank you for noticing. Of course, it's it's a very vulnerable thing. And I know constantly we're told we're vulnerable people, but to be emotionally vulnerable is a whole different level. And I think you're helping people process their own grief. Even if they're not grieving right now, I know like I I have saved some of your, your words and messages because I know I'll look back on them when I'm going through another season of my life where I, I do have more grief. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, that really means a lot that you bring that stuff up because I sometimes I feel like, you know, my, my way of like posting about myself seems so, like to me, it feels very much like, oh, I'm so self-focused and I'm like, you know, wrapping up all of my feelings into this, you know, post and that people are going to feel sorry for me about it. And it, it does, it feels kind of self-serving in a way, but to know that other people might be getting something positive about it that helps themselves, that, that makes me feel good. Yeah, for sure. And I think, again, most models, but especially you, our brand is who we are. Yeah. And sometimes it can feel, we, we mesh into this like, I'm being myself, but it's also a marketing thing. Yeah. <laughs> weird. And so I, I, I know, I think being human is a beautiful thing to see on the internet. And I think you're very much yourself. <laughs> and it makes me feel more confident in who I am. Yeah, I think you've done that in like numerous ways, not even just with grief. Like, I'm sure you got a ton of positive feedback about your tiger stripes. I have you. Yeah, it's like, it's amazing that you were like, this is who I am. This is what I have. And I love them. And I love myself. And you're allowing other women, other people to see, hey, <laughs> I can have this too. And it's not a shameful thing. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I think that society in general, when it comes to like, you know, viewing models and stuff, they're, they are finally becoming more like, welcoming of that kind of body positivity and i'm happy for that but it was still when i first announced that i had stretch marks the first time it was scary <laughs> yeah. i was actually as we were talking a minute ago about how you know being a tortured artist is like creating you know our own form of art that in turn helps other people it made me think of the I keep on seeing these quotes on Instagram by Rick Rubin. Are, are you familiar with Rick Rubin? I don't think I am. No, no. He, he's like a guy that's like produced a bunch of like really famous music artists like, I don't know, Metallica and stuff. But but he he has all these like really interesting quotes that he states 
And one of them is that if somebody is creating art for the intention of pleasing their audience, then it's not going to connect with that audience in the way that they're hoping. It's not going to have the potential to be like as amazing where a lot of the art and and he you know represents music artists and you know gets their name out there and stuff so his like artistic field is in music but it also has a lot of similarities with other forms of art too so if somebody is if a music artist or any artist is creating art just for themselves you know writing a book about you know something or writing song lyrics about something and you're doing it because you're processing through that pain or you're trying to express yourself from your own pain, not thinking about what your audience is going to think about it, then oftentimes that type of art that's just coming from you, you just made it for yourself, will often be more helpful and more touching and connecting to the, the audience for that art. And Rick Rubin, he talks about that a lot. I mean, I see it in a bunch of his interviews and a bunch of his like excerpts that are quoted from, you know, podcasts and stuff. Yeah, I I really agree with that sentiment. And then I've I've been wrestling with the idea lately of, you know, when we make this true art, this art for ourselves, how often can artists reproduce that? Because the career of an artist is asking us to constantly bring out content or reproduce, you know, what we're doing. You know, there's bands that are these one-hit wonders or there's these ones that, you know, are are staples in everyone's playlist. And it's interesting to me that yeah. I feel like it's no sin if a person is an artist for just a flash of a moment, but their art really connected and helped people. Like, I don't think we need to pressure artists to continually churn out art that is amazing because art that clicks or is really amazing or impactful, I feel is rare in an artist's life. Yes, you're right. And I was, as you were mentioning that, it was another thing that has been kind of a topic that's been coming up that's on this note is that people feel threatened by artificial intelligence creating art, right? And it's just ripping off other artists and stuff. But I think that, and I, I strongly feel this, that when I see an AI created art image, like it might be beautiful and it might be amazing and it might be stunning, but this is the human element that it's missing. You know, there's not like a person that's lived a life that is creating this for themselves. It is just, you know, a replication of that. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of room for many different arguments and perspectives on art. And, you know, before AI art really like took off or stuff, there was these AI models that are like walking the runway. And I remember there was like a huge deal about a certain AI model getting like a deal with Fenty or something. Like, <laughs> like a fake person that's created by, you know, a dude in someone's basement that's like walking a runway for clothing. And I just thought like, oh my God, like, you know, if we can make the perfect quote unquote female, what is even the point of models? And then I remembered like, well, the point of models is that we we have different personalities, we have different body types, we have different, you know, stories that embed into our images. I'm sure yeah. when you like go back and look on this tour you're about to go on, you know, 
let's say in a year you look back on it, you might think, wow, I was really bringing forth because that's what I was feeling during the time. Yeah. 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 There's the story behind the photo. And, and especially if you are the model in the photo, it's not just, you know, what the model is wearing in the photo or how they styled their hair or the pose or anything like that. It, like for myself, when I see images of myself, I remember everything surrounding the situation before and after that photo shoot. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And like you had asked me, you know, it's like prep work before coming on here, you know, what what was the craziest shoot I ever did? Yeah, I, I fell so deep into this conversation about death that like I forgot to even ask you if your photo shoot fail crazy story. But oh, yes, go ahead. It's all good. Me. It kind of ties perfectly into this because when I look back on that photo shoot and I'll describe it in a second, I when I originally looked back, I said, wow, my eyes look really big in these photos. And then I realized, oh, I was scared the entire time. And that's why I just have very wide eyes. Like my eyes are very open because I'm terrified. And I I didn't realize until a couple of years looking back at the photos that that is why my eyes seemed so strange to me in this whole set. And I think, I don't know if I've talked to you about it before, but uh, this crazy photo shoot I did was I went to the House of Wills in Cleveland, Ohio. And are you familiar with that place? The House of Wills? Yeah, it is an old funeral home that was bought by a sadist. And like, or not a sadist, I'm so sorry. It was bought by a Satanist. Right. Totally different, totally different thing, sorry. But he had like rituals for other Satanists in that House of Wills. So there was like cult gathering basically like areas and there was no electricity, no running water. So the photographer and I were like going around this very creepy, decrepit funeral home with flashlights and trying to find like any natural light that was coming in through like broken windows. And it was it was just a very creepy area. And I'm very sensitive to, you know, ghosts or that things like that. And so I kind of had a chill down my spine. The entire time I was in this, it was a fabulous shoot. The images came out beautiful, but it was a very creepy shoot. Looking back, I just think, how dumb, enough, dumb am I that I was like, yeah, let me go to this funeral home, get naked, <laughs> and run around. And like, I don't, I don't even know. Like, it seems insane to me that I went there all gone the hoe and was terrified for hours and just continued to work. That, it feels like something that I would sign up for too, but yeah, it probably would be scary, you know, when you're there, especially if you're getting that vibe and it's taken over by Satanist with the heck. <laughs> yeah, there was there was this hilarious moment because it's huge it's a huge house. I mean it was a giant old funeral home. And I kid you not, we got like lost in it but we knew where the owner was. And so we kind of like found where he was and he was painting via flashlight in the dark. And it was like the biggest cliche I had ever, like I had never seen anyone actually paint in the dark before. And I was just shocked. I was like, how, how are you painting in the dark? <laughs> like this wow. scene, like not a thing you should be doing. Like I feel like I'm in a horror film. That is odd. Yeah, that is very odd. 
And so did this this guy lived there or Yeah, he lived there in a lot of like he was he was pretty well known in the community and a lot of the graffiti or like a lot of the like shattering of windows and stuff was threats against his life. Like it had his name in it. Yeah. Uh, the heck? Yeah, and a lot of it was just like people did he was the sweetest guy on the planet. Like he was a very nice person. He just was a Satanist and had, you know, these meetings and the community didn't like that he had bought this place, but they couldn't do anything about it either. Like it's his property. Wow, that is so strange. How interesting. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know how this photographer like ended up linking up with this guy and and getting this location for us. But it it, it was a very unique shoot, even though it was very odd. Yeah, I just never I never thought that would happen. One of my like favorite images from that shoot is this the owner was also an artist. Yeah, but he did art with like mannequins and like dismembering mannequins and all this kind of like very Satanist driven art yeah. um, around mannequins. And so he had a room just full of mannequins. And the photographer put me in with all these mannequins. And it's kind of like a strange, weird image, especially when it's censored, because I just look like a mannequin among mannequins. <laughs> no. Yeah, so when they censored, it was just like they removed your nipples and stuff. And yeah. Black bar over it. Yeah, that's extra weird. Yeah, I kind of look like, you know, a Barbie doll version of myself censored, you know? Yeah, I honestly, I kind of hate that method of censoring. It is creepy in itself to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I really don't know which method I like, like the best or the least. You know, they all kind of do something to the image that just doesn't ruin it but definitely detracts from yeah. what the original image is supposed to be yeah agreed yeah so you were censored mannequin person among mannequins <laughs> yeah yeah which is just yeah i don't know and like i feel like we often go to places that are unsafe for us that we don't even like really think about some of the unsafe like aspects of it like i don't know i I shoot at a lot of abandoned locations. I'm sure yeah. you do too. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. And there's like rat feces, you know, all around. And that's not good. Like, it's right. not to be around, you know, or like, I I call it the shoe test that I have for, for photographers. And now I'm exposing it. But a lot of times in these abandoned locations, there's broken glass on the ground. And so, you know, we hustle in with our shoes on and then we take our shoes off. And I always want to know, like, is the photographer going to make me toss my shoes somewhere random or are they going to like take my shoes from me and place them down nicely so that when I have to get out of this like broken glass area, I know they're going to like grab my shoes and hand them back to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's important. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just think like sometimes what we're asked to do photographers don't even realize how dangerous it is until we've done it yes and i have been cut on broken glass in a really precarious location as well but fortunately i've never like had to go to the hospital for anything like that so knock on wood yeah yeah that is very 
Very fortunate and good. Have you ever been in one of those big like hamster bubble balls? I think so for like a fair or something like that, but not for a shoot. I was in one of those. And again, love the photographer. Both of us didn't think anything of it. He blew it up and then he wanted me to like walk onto a, a lake. Mm. So I was doing that and it started filling up with water. Oh my God. And you're thinking like, okay, just unzip yourself out. But I did not realize until it starts filling up with water that the zipper is on the outside. Oh my God. That's how it gets closed. So you like, I had to like, because it's no longer a spear, right? Like you can't walk back on top of the water because it's filling up with water. So I kind of had to like half swim hustle back to shore as it filled up with water. And I was perfect. I was safe. It wasn't like it was like, oh my God, I was going to be on like my last breath or something. But the photographer and I were talking about it and he was like, yeah, from now on, I'm going to make sure I have a knife on me in case I have to like cut the model out. Oh my God, that is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just just something neither of us thought of. Like I've seen those balls on water before. I I didn't think they would fill up with water. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that that would freak me out too. That sounds that does sound really dangerous. Yeah. Or maybe at least he could like somehow attach like a fishing line to it and just pulling back in or I don't know. Yeah, he didn't have like a kayak. So, you know, he could like kayak out and like grab me and bring me back and stuff. But yeah, I just I had never thought about it. Like I you know, we we get into these shoots and we're just all about the art and it's like, yeah, you know, that globe in the middle of the lake, oh, that's going to look gorgeous, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. It does sound cool, but a lot of the things that sound cool are really dangerous, like anything involving fire and sometimes, you know, train tracks even. Like people have died okay. doing shoots on train tracks. Have you have you done anything with fire? I've posed like next to a bonfire, but not like not like with fire flying around or I'm not like a fire spinner. I haven't like posed like handling fire, but I've posed like using candles or like a bonfire as like the lighting source. But then, I think that I was comfortable with the bonfire because the bonfire itself was pretty predictable, you know? Like there right. wasn't any crazy actions happening with it. And I, I didn't have to jump over it or anything like that, you know. Yeah, and you do a lot of underwater modeling too. Yeah, yeah, that can be super dangerous, you know. So for for that, I ended up getting certified as a free diver, and once I did that, then I it kind of opened up a lot more opportunities for me as an underwater model when it comes to diving further underwater and just like having like more confidence in like breath holding techniques to like know that I'm going to be okay but I would not recommend doing a lot of ocean modeling without having some kind of training yeah I I do wonder you know when you get booked for those shoots and let's say it's like a two hour long modeling shoot how how does that work because it's like you can't hold your breath for like more than a couple minutes, right? Yeah. So like, how how much do you feel? I would feel guilty, and this is totally wrong of me to feel this way, but I would feel guilty for all that time I'm on the surface, you know, breathing, getting ready for the next dive. 
Yeah, I'm glad you asked because a lot of people that comment on any underwater photos of me are focusing on the breath holding aspect of it. But in reality, the biggest challenge for me is the cold, you know, because often <clears throat> being underwater, even if you're in a heated pool after a certain amount of time, especially if you're not dog paddling a lot, it's too cold and you have to get out and warm up. But the only times that I have felt more pressure to be underwater as much as possible are when the photographer has a scuba suit on and they're just sitting at the bottom and they're waiting for me to come back down. Otherwise, you know, if the photographer is also holding their breath with you, like you have to have the stamina to get through the whole shoot. You can't just be like killing yourself every time, like pushing yourself to hold your breath really long because that's just, you know, not realistic and like honestly for me like i do a few breath hole a, a, a few deep breaths and then i go down and i do a couple nice poses you know and as long as you're holding your breath for about the same amount of time as the photographer is holding their breath like everybody's happy because the photographer if they're diving down with you to shoot you know they're also holding their breath usually yeah and yeah, I've, I have. I've had shoots where the photographer has to come to the surface before me, and then by the time they're coming back down, then I'm already surfacing. So it, it can be awkward, but you know, yeah. Just yeah, I find underwater shoots, you know, very. I love doing them, but the communication aspect of it, like I have to have good hand signals with the photographer, and I have to have photographers who understand that. I have to give up the air in my lungs in order to go to a certain depth. Yeah. Like I can't keep air. So it's like I I can't hold my breath for that long because I don't even have air to hold. Yes. You're exhaling before posing. Yeah. And it's I, I think I think that was the most difficult thing for me to learn with modeling because I come from a swim background. So, you know, I can do laps. And take only one or two breaths. I do a lot of like breath work in my workouts in general with swimming, but in modeling, I have a much less ability to like hold my breath for a long time because I'm trying to get a certain pose and I'm trying to get to a certain depth. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Un underwater is like a completely different animal than like any other type of modeling, which, which is why I like it because it's so challenging. Yes. Yeah. Wow, yeah. we got way off topic. Okay, no, I like it though. We we did we bunny trailed. However, my episodes usually are like an average of an hour long, so we've we've gone a little bit past that. But is there anything else that you wanted to bring up? No, I think this was lovely. Yeah, same. Well, thank you for reaching out to me. This has been a really good podcast. A, a little bit different in format than to what I normally do, but I like that. You know, I've been needing to mix it up a little bit. So having like a, a really deep, dark topic to like go down the rabbit hole on, I think people are really going to like. I agree. And I think I think we kept it light enough. Yeah, kept it light enough. But it's important. Like, I mean, even outside of modeling, like other people, like people in general, everybody has to deal with like, conflicts in their life or with like traumatic things and then after the traumatic event happens we have to figure out how to get back on track with our regular life which is exactly where i'm at right now so i'm really glad that that you contacted me to do this episode because it's been helpful for me also 
Of course. And I, I hope your Portland trip is very cathartic and profitable and goes great. Heck yeah. Amen to cathartic and profitable. That's my intention going into it at least. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to kill it. You're, you're one of the best models out there. Oh, thank you. All right, Daisy. Well, thanks so much for doing this episode with me. And I'll touch base with you on Instagram after we get off the recording. Awesome. Lovely. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye.